Hey everyone, welcome to Asian Tech Leaders, the podcast where we interview some of the most interesting and inspiring Asian CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. I'm your host, Justin Pang, and I'm on a mission to share the stories of Asian tech leaders to help guide your personal and professional life. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Amelia Lin is the CEO and co-founder of Honeycomb, a private social app for families. Honeycomb offers families a way to curate and share their favorite moments and memories in a private and secure way. Prior to starting Honeycomb, Amelia was previously a product leader at Udacity and Optimizely. Amelia obtained her MBA degree from the Harvard Business School and studied physics during undergrad at Harvard. In this episode, you'll learn more about how Amelia made the decision to leap into the startup world, how Amelia's parents reacted to her seemingly high-risk decision, and how to rethink the word aggression in a more positive and productive way. Hope you enjoy this episode, and let's get started. Hey, Amelia, how you doing? Doing great. How are you, Justin? Hey, good, good. Welcome. And first off, happy Lunar New Year. It is February you 1st. You too! I'm wearing my red sweater to represent. Um, are, do you have any plans or any anything you want to, to do or eat for Lunar New Year? which is happening in 15 days. My plans are, I have calendar invites to remind myself to call all my relatives. <laughs> I don't think I got to go like wish everybody happy new year. That's my, that's my plans. <laughs> yeah, I started to see all the the uh, gifts come through in like my WhatsApp this morning and last night from family members. So even though we can't really celebrate as much in person as we'd like to, we are getting the virtual greetings out. So that's a lot of fun. It does feel like an oddly appropriate day to be having this conversation uh, <laughs> as we build an app that is entirely about connecting family that is apart. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, why don't we just jump into it? And can you share a little bit more about Honeycomb? I was really excited when I came across a product because this is something I feel like was built for me. Number one, as a relatively young dad with two kids, ages four and five. And number two, as somebody who uh, takes a boatload of pictures of my kids. So the other day I opened my Google Photos app and I told my daughter how many pictures I had of her. And it was in the range of 46,000 photos since she was born, which is ridiculous. So um, I feel like Honeycomb is the app that is for me to help me curate my experience and also share that with my family without overwhelming them with 45,000 photos of my kids. So can you share a little bit more about the uh, product that you're building? Yeah, totally. So so we're building a new kind of social app for helping families to save memories, uh, starting with a new and expecting parents. Um, and the problem that we're kind of trying to solve, you've laid it out really well, is that you know social media today is just super public and super noisy and so it's like you know your the pictures of your kids are sandwiched in between clickbait and ads and influencers and this horrible feed and it's just it's just a really awful experience and um we really think it's time for something better um so we're designing honeycomb to be this more private and intimate and beautiful space that's really designed for for you and your family. Um, and as you said, uh, it's really kind of a place for you to curate the things that are most precious to you. Some people kind of compared it to, it's like if Instagram were private and like actually made for my family. Um, mm. It's like if I got like a private Instagram feed or like a private Snapchat feed that was all content about my family. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit, that's a little bit about us and what we're building. That's great. And what inspired you to build this? How, tell me a little bit more about the journey to get to where Honeycomb is today. Cause I know there are some pivots with previous, uh, products that you built. So, yeah. So, so our mission of saving family memories comes from a really, really personal place. Um, we really built it for ourselves and our own families. Uh, so, so going way back to kind of the beginning, um, I've actually had this crazy project in mind for uh, probably about 10 years where I had been trying to beg my mom and my dad who are uh, immigrants and I had wanted to find some way of saving their stories for my mm -hmm. kids one day. 
And I thought about how we had this big photo album that my mom had kept and how I hadn't seen it in 20 years. I don't even know where it is. Like it's probably mm. stuck in some, some drawer somewhere. And um, they just have such incredible, they have such incredible stories. And I thought, I really want something that is more than just a collection of photos. I want something yeah. that captures the memory and, and the journey. And, um, and so I started this project with them. At the time I was, I was at my former job. I was a product manager um, at, 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 a, at a startup out here in Silicon Valley. And, and I had this kind of side project where I said, mom, dad, I really want to find a way to do this with you. And we started with like, literally I would get on a Google meet call with them and like record the screen, you know, of like talking with them. Like, and mm. it was really, really, really simple. And, um, and so from that, uh, it, it, and then I think for, for Nicole, my co-founder, um, I, Nicole's a mom. And so it is very, very intensely personal to her, um, this, the, the ability to, to save, uh, her daughter's, her daughter's name is Blaze. Uh, Blaze is sort of sort of life journey. Um, so so it comes from a super personal place for for both of us, and and that's that's how it started. Yeah, that's great. I mean, this is the type of thing I've been thinking about. Of like, if this existed, especially with aging parents and me being a young dad, I'm like, I don't want to be the sole link between the two generations, right? I want this to be somewhere in yes. oh, not the public domain, in the cloud, but access only to my private family members that's right where yeah. it's really a digital time capsule right like the thing that we used to do as kids bury things put it in the ground and um we'll try to dig it up later and this is like the exact type of product i feel like so many families could value from because uh we know time is precious right and the things that live on are really the stories and stories are something that um don't just live in a photo they live in videos and I think you guys do voice memos too like so many different mediums as well so I love kind of the whole holistic um, approach that you guys have taken thank you yeah nope you've you've definitely got it you've hit the nail on the head of why we started it and sort of our our vision for it and can you share a little bit more about where the product is in the life cycle and the growth journey and like what, oh, what yeah. the priorities are for you right now as the uh, CEO CEO Definitely. So uh, it's come a really long way. So from that initial kind of pet project with my parents, uh, we are now a full-fledged uh, app in app in the App Store. Um, and so you can go and 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 check out Honeycomb. We just announced our funding pretty recently. Um, I, so that was that was pretty big news for us. And we're growing the team like gangbusters. So that's like a really big thing that's going on right now. Um, we doubled the team last year and. Uh, that's 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 pretty much a top priority. Um, we've gotten a lot of requests uh, for Android. We are on iOS only at the moment, so we we do have a lot of Android requests coming our way, and um, we've been adding some pretty cool some pretty cool features that sort of auto uh, kind of auto remix your your memories and turn them into these. Um, these sort of story-like um, time capsules. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of some of the stuff that we're working on at the moment, and it's uh, been it's been pretty exciting. It's been pretty exciting to see all the interest come in. Very cool. Hey, congratulations on the early success and obviously the the big fundraise. Um, wanted to also get your thoughts. Like this is really the first time you've been a CEO, right? You've worked at other tech companies. You've had product management roles. What is that experience like? Kind of um, running a company and having lots of people, both from investors to employees to, to users, obviously depend on you. I uh, would love to just hear a little bit more about that journey for you. That's a really interesting question. I would say that that's something that feels like a journey I'm still on every day. Um, I, I look back and I, I really think these I really think that, that Honeycomb has changed me as a person, the experience of, of getting to build and, and, and run Honeycomb and to grow um, our amazing team of, of really wonderful human beings. Um, I look back and I see I, I'm a different person from who I was at the beginning in, in I think, very good ways. Um, I think it mm. is an experience that forces you to grow um, at uncomfortably fast pace, uh, which is pretty amazing as somebody who is, I would say I'm like, I'm just really, I'm very curious and I, I just really love learning. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's the most learning dense experience I've ever had to be at a startup at this early stage. Um, it's really that drinking from the fire hose kind of wow. situation. And um, every day um, you are, you some challenge lands on your desk and you're like, hmm, all right, never had to figure that problem out before. And it's like the first time that you're figuring it out. And you're like, okay, time to go figure out how to, how to do that, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. You know, maybe it's like how to navigate press. It's like, wow, I've, I've never had to handle press before. Like, how, do, how does that work? <laughs> Time to go learn. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, I, yeah, I would say it's the most learning dense experience I've ever had. Um, and I think that what makes it so, so amazing and incredible, and I probably couldn't have really appreciated this when I was a product manager before Honeycomb, is the team. It is is mm. is the amazing group of people that has come together um, to 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 build this and 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 to run this thing together. Um, I just feel very lucky to work with them every day. Mm. And can you share a little bit more about kind of the team aspect? First off, how did you find um, your co-founder Nicole? Where did you guys first meet, and how did you decide to work together? And then secondly, even in deciding deciding to hire the first whatever five ten people at Honeycomb. How do you, you know, it's kind of a trade-off between breadth and, and depth, kind of like an optimization problem where you're, you don't want to interview too many people. You have to still make a good decision, but you want to yeah. move fast as well. So curious to know, how did you strike that balance between speed, but also like having a good complete uh, roster of folks to look at when you're hiring? That's a really good question. Yeah. And uh, it's one that is very much at the forefront of my mind as we are actively hiring even now. So, so the first part of the question is just like, hey, how did you meet Nicole? Nicole and I knew each other through mutual friends at business school. So mm. like you, I actually also went to an MBA program. So her, uh, Nicole and I both were in uh, the Harvard's MBA program. And um, I had had kind of this interesting path where I actually went to the MBA program from tech and Silicon Valley. So I had spent the previous years working in Silicon Valley startups. And, um, and that was sort of my background going into the MBA program was uh, I was there to find ways that I could be a better teammate at startups. Um, I, I didn't have a formal business training, like any kind of formal business training. I was a physics major in undergrad. Um, at Harvard. And so I really felt like, gosh, it'd be really great to learn some more about, I don't know, marketing and these other things that I don't know that much about. And maybe I could go and contribute even better to the startups that I'm working at. So that was kind of my path uh, to, to the business school. And Nicole kind of almost went the other way where she was going into tech from the MBA program. So she was at, in the MBA, MBA program, um, wanted to move into technology and sort of use it as a springboard uh, into, into tech. So she ended up joining Google afterwards. And I went back to startups and joined uh, Udacity, which is an educational technology um, startup. And we, when we reconnected, it was kind of this, you know, we joke a lot about how we have the, even though we both worked in product, we have these really complementary leanings. Mm. Um, my perspective is very much from the startup world. Um, I, you know, and, and building tiny things and growing them, um, whether that was at Udacity or Optimizely or other places. Uh, for Nicole, she ended up working at Google and then Instagram. So she's kind of seen the like mass consumer mm product development and deployment and also what what that, that her experience from a social media giant like Instagram mm. is absolutely invaluable. Um, and so it was a bit of our powers combined that we get to get to mind meld um, and, and work together. And uh, she's yeah, she's amazing. I feel very lucky to get to to work with her. So that's the answer to the first part. <laughs> I can't answer the second part too, but I'll pause and see if you, if you still want to go down that path or if you, if there's anything else you'd rather. Well, quick, quick question on like the, how you and Nicole work, how do you divide and conquer just like day-to-day -day tasks um, yeah. at a high level? I would say the very broadest division is that I tend to do a lot more of the external facing stuff and Nicole mm -hmm. gets to be a little bit more like heads down on internal facing. So um, she's the head of product and day-to-day uh, she's really heads down on on that and sort of g 
getting thinking about what the next features are, the next changes are that we're going to make and how we rally together and get those out the door. Um, for me, I tend to be the person who's um, outward facing to I, I spend a lot of time talking to our users. Um, mm -hmm. I handle all the incoming requests from from press or, or and our investors or things like that. Um, so that's kind of a natural split that's worked really well for us. Great, great. Okay, we can go to part two of my very long question, which was around the team and hiring and finding yeah. that right balance. Yeah, I think for us, this is where our past experience working in technology was invaluable. Um, so across the team, uh, we come from uh, Instagram, Google, Udacity, Optimizely, Palantir, and Airbnb. And uh, so it's, you know, we've, we've got, we've been very fortunate to be on teams that were sort of building and executing software at the, at the best, at the, at the highest levels. And so the first people we went to were our friends and our coworkers, mm -hmm. right? Teammates who we'd worked with before. And, uh, and that's really kind of how we built the team. Um, it's like, hey, you know me, I know you, like, <laughs> we have a great time working together. Like, come, come build this new thing with us uh you know we have a really cool uh mission uh we believe really strongly in it um we want to build a mission-driven company um come and join the founding team and i think that's that's gone really well for for us um so it it definitely i think we it's a huge part you know of how how we've we've built the team to date mm. so now it's about kind of still in hyper growth mode and scaling and hopefully getting more of your friends and your network to absolutely help you in the journey right absolutely yes um and i just can't if they're i just can't give a big enough shout out to our users and our supporters um the families who have been with us on this journey we couldn't be doing it without them uh they're amazing uh, there's very little about the product that is not influenced or, or didn't originally even come from, you know, a, a conversation um, with one of them. So, yeah. Amazing. And it's obviously just the beginning. So I'm sure, you know, we'll have to do a check-in again in a, in a year or a couple of years. And I'm sure things will be even bigger and better. So very excited. Absolutely. Um, we'd Absolutely. love to kind of, um, you know, rewind a bit and talk more about that transition from, you know, you worked at Udacity, you worked at Goodreads, like just having a, a really great product management experience at larger tech companies. And what was going through your mind in the thought process when you decided to start your own company? And I think it started with Saga before it kind of transitioned into Honeycomb. But that's right. We'd we'll love to hear about that decision to kind of leave some of the comforts of bigger tech company to go down the startup. <laughs> Is that an understatement? Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, it's so. But it's it, I. I can very vividly remember. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> particular moments. Uh, so, yeah, this will be a good good time for story time. Um, so, I remember making the decision to leave my full time job, and it was not an easy. It definitely was not a decision that came quickly. Um, it was something that had probably been on my mind for six months, you know, at least. Um, and I really struggled with feeling like I could do it or that there was, a, I, I didn't, I, I was, I did not have the confidence or the kind of um, security in my own abilities to feel like that was something I could do. Um, and, and actually it was my, my partner, uh, Akir, who really, was the one who kind of kept saying like you could totally do this if you want right and i'd sit there and be like nah you're crazy like i i don't, I don't know what i'm doing like how, how could i you know how could i do that and he was like no i, I really think you you can you know and kind of really forced me to take a look at what was holding me back and well what are the things that i'm scared about and so i actually wrote a list of things that i was scared of and kind of went through them one by one and they were things like what if no one hires me again? Like, what am I going to do without income while I'm figuring this thing out? And I'd kind of go through them one by one. I'd be like, okay, that's probably not reasonable. Like, you're probably going to be hireable, Amelia. Mm. Like, if you think, like, very objectively, like, you're going to be just fine. Like, you've got, you know, you've, 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 you've worked in the industry, you're going to be just fine. And it's like, okay, well, you have savings. Like, sure, you might not have an income for a while, but you can budget and you can you can see you can you can come up with a personal runway. Like these mm. things are not not out of your control. 
And then after I kind of went through the list, um, I was convinced. I was like, okay, all right. I've like reached conviction that the things that I was scared of were not actually that scary. And at that point, then the decision making was very quick because once mm. I get to conviction on a decision, um, I don't really look back. I'm not really that kind of person. So um, I think I gave notice like two weeks later or something like wow. that. Oh. Yeah. What did your partner was say? Was your partner like, let's go? Or <laughs> I think are you sure? Like... Do you want to think about it? <laughs> I think it was more like the second. He was like, well, I wasn't expecting it to be that fast. And I was like, well, I've like reached conviction. Like, what's the point of it? What's the point in waiting? You know, life, life isn't getting any longer. Like, you know, time isn't slowing down. Um, and yeah, so, so I decided I was going to give notice. But I was terrified of telling my parents, actually. Mm. They were the people I was most scared of breaking the news to, you know, more than my manager, right. you know, because, um, you know, they so they immigrated from 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 China and 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 just, you know, really they, they've lived the American dream. Um, they grew up during the cultural revolution in, in China, grew up with very, very little, um, you know, really kind of next to nothing. And, you know, I, I wouldn't blame them in the least for thinking, my God, what did we do? <laughs> what are you doing? You're throwing it away, you know, and and maybe having a kind of a hard time understanding what why why I was making that choice. Um, so, so I remember very vividly, I left it to the last minute. I think I, I was driving to work. I was like about to give notice and I was like, all right, well. I don't think I could keep this a secret. Like I, they, they're gonna know at some point. I'm <laughs> my job, right? Um. So, so I called them on the way, and I was just so scared that um, I don't even think I, I don't even think I could say it straight out. I think I said to them, <laughs> "Hey, mom, dad, hypothetically, just hypothetically, how would you feel about me leaving my job yes. without a next job? You know." Asking um, it's kind of like asking versus telling, like, hey, how, what what, I was like, how, how do you feel? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Um, because there's such how, a huge how yeah. did that how did that how did that go? <laughs> well, it was like totally silent. Um and I'm driving in the car, you know, and it's just it's just totally silent and um and and my mom said, she said, you know what, if this is what makes you happy we're here for you. You know, we're here for the, you. We're here to, to support you emotionally, like financially, if you need it, like we're, we're here for you. And it was not, I, I would, I did not expect that. I really didn't. Wow. I, yeah. I think I started, I think I started tearing up. I was like so moved because I really wouldn't have blamed them in the least, you know, sure. if it had been really hard for them to understand, like I, I would have gotten that. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, their support has meant the That's world amazing. to me. They've been amazing. Yeah, it is, and it is really that, you know, being parents of, you know, a, a child of immigrants as well, it's almost this self, um, self-initiated burden that we care of. Like, look at how much our parents sacrificed, right? They yes. left their home country, came here, not speaking the language, not having a lot of money, not having connections. And for me to not honor that in a way that I yes. think right. is appropriate which is like well i need to build off your backs not start from scratch again i think for a lot of us like um asian americans asian canadians who are here in that situation we can't help but think yeah that we, yeah. we want to honor what our parents did and the sacrifice and everything they did for us and show respect in a way and whenever you get responses like your parents have that's like that's just uh, unexpected but so yeah. so treasured really special so it was really incredible and I think the thing that they've said to me um kind of throughout the journey is that they are excited that I'm able to take the leaps that they couldn't have because yeah. it's true right like they didn't have the kind of stability and security to be able to take all the wildest swings that they might have wanted to you know, when they were building a life here. So my, my dad actually went to uh, school at San Francisco State. And it was, um, and he, he said to me, he said, at the time, the tech revolution was happening right around me, you know, and he, and he was studying computer science. And he said, but I didn't join a company then. Mm. And I wish that I had, 
I, I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening around me and I missed, I missed the boat. Um, and I always wish that I could have started a company or joined or joined a small company and I don't get to have that dream, but maybe you do. Mm. Yeah. Did you know that until you broached this idea of moving or this has no. kind of opened up when you made that decision, right? Yeah. yeah I think yeah. it opened it up. Like, I mean, I knew that he had very good, I think it was, you know, a topic that would come up at dinner, maybe once every couple of years between my mom and my dad, you know, she, she'd say something about like, hey, maybe you should start your own thing. And it, but it, it, I never would have thought twice about it had it not kind of come up more explicitly, you know, in this conversation. I, I don't think I realized that kind of at this point. So at this point, my dad is retired, you know, he's at the end of his career. Mm. I don't think I realized that that was such a major regret for him looking back. It was something mm. he really felt like he missed out on. Mm. But it must have been so liberating, number one, to know your parents were supporting you 110%. And then number two, absolutely. that, I mean, just hearing your dad's story gives you even more drive and persistence and passion in making what you do with Honeycomb or any future endeavors is success, right? Like, so yeah. I feel like that really helps power the engine too. So Yeah, they've been incredible. Great. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Um, so it sounds like after you kind of did that fear setting exercise, right, writing down all the things you're afraid of, kind of rationalizing away each one, and then also just making the decision two weeks after to, to leave and ultimately tell your parents, you are, you are free, you're ready. And once you kind of jumped into the world of entrepreneurship, how did you even structure your, your work and like figure out, you know, how you should prioritize your time? Was that more of an art or a science for you? Oh yeah, I think I that is a that is a great question because I don't think I had thought that through very well. And I do remember on the quote unquote first day, so it was like I my last day was a Friday, and then on Monday I I got to, got to work on 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 what would become Honeycomb. I do remember that morning just being like, "What is my to do list?" and <laughs> and being kind of totally flabbergasted by the re realization that I have no manager to which in some ways is freeing, but in some ways is also very disorienting because you're like, um, so who is supposed to let me know if I'm going the right direction? And what if I'm going the wrong direction? Is, is someone going to tell me? How am I going to know that I'm going the wrong direction? And then how will I know if I'm like succeeding or failing or moving fast enough without, mm. without anybody else to kind of be a sanity check for me? Right. Um, and I think that was the hardest part for me in the beginning. Um, I, if I could do it all again, uh, I really wish that, uh, I would have started with a co-founder. So I, I, I would have, I would have been like, Nicole, we should have started it together from the beginning. Um, because, uh, I, re I really put myself through the ringer, um, starting, starting alone. Um, you, sp you spend a lot of time sort of running in circles in your own head yeah. without, especially for someone like me, I, I really thrive on um, team and people. Mm -hmm. um, I love being around people. And I had a very, very hard time not having any coworkers anymore. Um, and I definitely, those first, basically about three months, I remember uh, it got to like New Year. It was like Christmas slash New Year's. And I was like all by myself and thinking about, all my old coworkers and friends and teammates. And I would like drive past my old like offices and look at the, and look at the windows and think about all the happy people inside who were like, you know, getting lunch together. And yeah. I would just feel incredibly lonely and mm. wonder if I was, you know, a total, total, total idiot for, for doing what I was doing. So, I mean, I think that moment is a very relatable one for many, many founders. Um, yeah. What was the first, you know, in the first, whatever, six, 12 months of like progress of like, oh, I'm onto something or like there's something mm. here, like there's a thread I need to pull on and kind of having a, I think maybe a mini aha moment that you're on the right track. I would say the first three months, there was no aha other than it's really, it was really just um, my own just really strong passion about mm. the idea and that's what carries me through and I, and I kind of knew that so I wasn't I wasn't super surprised by that um, I'd worked in enough startups um, to know 
that um, a lot of it is tough and doesn't always come with like super obvious flashing lights of this is the right direction. Mm -hmm. And you still got to you, you got to believe in yourself and you got to make progress. So I wasn't terribly surprised that that was how, like, I think I was mentally prepared for, for that piece of it in a way that I think sometimes some, some first time founders are not. Um, that being said, that moment that I kind of shared where it was like, gosh, I'm just, I'm so lonely, you know, like, what if I'm a total idiot? And what if I'm going, uh, who knows? Maybe everybody's too nice to tell me that this is a terrible idea. Right. Um, that was probably the lowest point, you know, and you just don't have, and if, if, if it's just you and you don't have other people around you to kind of, to kind of be a balance to you in those times, um, it could, that, that was really tough. And then two weeks later, I went from like the lowest low to the highest high because our first paying customer arrived. So out of nowhere, I mean, really nowhere, um, a, a, a woman in Omaha contacted me and said, I'd like to buy your, your product. I'd put up a fake landing page at that point. And, and I remember I said, she said, well, I said, she said, I'd like to buy the package. And I said, what, what package? <laughs> what package? I thought it was a this, joke. I thought it was like, first saga, right? like the saga. Yeah. The audio yeah this was okay. like, wow. yeah, this is when we started out. So we started out, um, the, the first version of the product for saving family memories was actually targeted at grandparents mm. um, and it was audio recordings. Um, and today we're focused on new and expecting parents um, and it's photo and video. So it has gone quite, quite gone through quite the transformation. Um, but yeah, it was the first time that someone reached out and wanted to send us real money, you know, for this hypothetical product that did not exist. Um, and so I can only say, I am very glad that I persisted through Wow. Through the through the low time, because I didn't know. I didn't know that right around the corner, right, was going to be something pretty amazing. Little did that grandma in Omaha know that that was a pivotal moment for you, right? I know. I know. She sends me pictures of her grandkids sometimes. She's like, we've kept in touch, like all oh, okay. like over over the over the over the years, because, I, I, you know, it's like at that point, every single person who signs up, you have, you know, you're you're building an almost like personal relationship with them because you're talking to them all the time. Yeah. Wow. And then how did that kind of like create a snowball effect or just like momentum for you to proceed and move forward and ultimately you know, that's, transfer? Them? I mean, that's when I, when I really knew there's something here because mm -hmm. um, it's really easy to come up with ideas that people will say, Oh, that sounds nice. Like, it's really yeah. easy to like, that's, that's kind of a, a low bar. Um, what's difficult is to build something that is good enough that people will actually pay anything for it. And so mm -hmm. if you actually like, I think a lot of people underestimate how hard it is to create something that's even worth a single dollar to someone else. Like you can come up with like, mm. Hey, wouldn't it be great if, I don't know, I could, I could create like an automatic scheduler and help you or like, and, and, and we'll do, it'll make it easier to plan parties. And people are like, yeah, that's really nice. Like, okay, cool. Would you be, would you like pay me a dollar for it? Like actually not just like hypothetically, but like, would you pay me a dollar for this? And that's when we were like, well, well um, maybe, maybe, like not, maybe that much. exactly. Right. 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 And so I think um, the hurdle of like, Hey, we created something that's good enough for people. And, and so when, and so getting paying customers, even for this hypothetical idea, we're like, okay, all right, there's, there's something here. There's something here that's worthwhile enough to people. Yeah. So it's like, okay, give us, give us your credit card number. We'll process that. And um, I'm serious. Then, yes. then you had to open a bank account at some point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she wanted to pay us. And I was like, oh, we don't even have, like at that point we hadn't even set up any way to accept payments. Right. And so she was like, well, I can mail you a check. Um, and I, I was like, you know what? Uh, let me send the invoice tomorrow. And so overnight I set up our Stripe account. Yeah. And then I like sent her the link and I had like branded it and everything. And I was feeling really proud of myself. Cause I was like, yeah, we look super legit now. <laughs> and she emailed me back and said, so I don't know if I'm doing something wrong, but it keeps saying this is a test account. And apparently <laughs> I had like forgotten to disable the like testing 
um, setting. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll get our customer know. support team yeah. know. Uh, that's <laughs> like, me. <laughs> I was like, I'll let our team know right away. And then 10 minutes later, I was like, okay, we've it's, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it was, it, it was, you know, it was totally me. Um, so yeah, there were definitely those moments in the beginning. Oh, amazing. Um, and in the last few minutes, I actually just wanted to hear a little bit more about your upbringing, right? You talked, to, you touched a bit on your parents' immigrant story. What was your childhood like in terms of um, what kind of drew your curiosity and how you spent a lot of your time as a kid? Was it, um, you know, um, in, in line with the more like stereotypical Asian upbringing, doing lots of academics? Uh, piano, Chinese, curious to just hear. Yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. So I totally have done, I would say the parts that are very classic are, I, I took, I signed up, I took piano lessons, I took violin lessons, um, and, and academics in school were huge, absolutely yeah. huge um, in, in our household for sure. Um, the part that I think is very different is that my my parents both have a really genuine love for learning and like real and and that was always the motivation that mm. we were given as kids which is i think a little bit different from like a lot of my friends growing up like they would get like incentives that were more like um hey if you get all a's i'll give you 10 bucks right it was about the grades and for my my parents always really focused on the like hey, what are you learning in school? Like, that's really interesting. Like, can you tell us about that too? Mm. Like, oh, we never got to take calculus classes or whatever. Yeah. Like they were genuinely curious about the stuff that, you know, I was learning in school because they didn't get to learn that stuff growing mm. up. They, they really didn't get education. And they loved books and loved reading. And our house was filled with books. It still is. Any place mm. you stand in our family house, like you know, within eyeshot, there's a stack of books somewhere on a windowsill or in a corner or whatever. Um, and the emphasis was always on giving your best. And that yeah. was the cardinal sin in our household was it wasn't not getting an A. It was, in fact, if you got an A, but you did it by being really lazy and not trying, that was what you, you'd get in trouble for that. You'd get in trouble for not giving it your best. And if you gave your absolute best and you, you know, you couldn't and whatever you got like a, I don't know, B minus or whatever, that was okay, but you had to have really given it your best. Mm. Um, so that was kind of, that I would say was very unusual um, and different mm. from sort of the stereotypical immigrant upbringing. Yeah. And then in terms of even what you decided to study in college, you know, you mentioned you studied physics. Yeah. Um, was that a clear and easy decision for you when you're in high school that that you want, was what you wanted to study or how did you land that? Um. Not really. So I think the problem for me has always been in life that I, I find so many things interesting. It's kind of hard mm -hmm. to pick. So I was always sort of jealous of my friends who were natural specialists and were like, oh, I've just, you know, always wanted to be a doctor ever since I was a kid or whatever. Because I didn't I don't think I had that sort of single minded yeah. clarity. I just kind of find like so many things interesting. So I was sort of a professional dabbler always, you know, mm -hmm. I'd always have like three different hobbies and like, you know, um, or whatever. And so in high school, um, I was trying to pick my major and there were a lot of things that I thought would be interesting. I thought it'd be cool to be a teacher. Um, I, I thought it'd be really cool to like study marine biology and like animals. Um, I really, really liked my high school physics class and I had mm -hmm. a lot of fun with it. And I basically decided off of that, that I was going to study physics. So <laughs> Must have been I a great decided, teacher, right? It was. Teacher, yeah, yeah, he was a really great teacher. And I think that was very lucky because I think a lot of people really hated their physics classes or teachers <laughs> or whatever. But I had a great experience. And so I, I actually declared early in college. So um, you, there was like a deadline for when you could choose your major. And I just chose early and was like, OK, I'm majoring in physics. Like, that's it. Um, and even <laughs> e even during the program, did that like, you know, studying physics in your undergrad, did that like sustain your attention long enough for the? Yeah, I think know, so. Yeah. yeah. And it was like a major decision for me to decide not to continue pursuing physics because my original plan was I was going to go to grad school and yeah. I wanted to become a physics professor. Um, and I wanted to go get like a PhD and like all that stuff. Um, so it was like definitely an unexpected turn to go into startups 
Yeah, that was that was nowhere on my roadmap in life. <laughs> How did that even open up to you? Was it uh, serendipitous? Was it uh, self-directed in terms of? Yeah, maybe a little bit world? of a mix. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of a mix. So I, I'd spent a lot of time volunteering in research labs. And so that, mm -hmm. you know, as a physics major, I was spending a lot of time volunteering in, in science research. And and that was what I did every every summer. And that, that was kind of what I would spend time in is I, I'd go find a lab and I'd go uh, ask if I could volunteer there and, and kind of get to work on some stuff. And in about sophomore year, so I was like halfway through college and I thought, well, I wonder what else is out there. And I kind of thought to myself, well, I guess I've never really given my chance to find out what else is out there because I've only ever pursued this this one thing. Um, and so I decided I was going to give myself a challenge that summer. I was like, OK, let me go find some summer work, but it can't be anything I've done before. That was my criteria to myself. And I was like, OK, give me anything. It has to be interesting to me, but it has to be something I've never done before. And and then I could decide at the end of the summer. Then at least, and then at least if I decide, okay, I'm sticking with research and, and that's the path for me, at least I'll have done it, like at least peeking around at what else is out there. Mm -hmm. So so that was what I gave myself the challenge of. I ended up splitting my summer between two different um internships. One was at the Smithsonian. So I, I love I, I love museums and I love education. And I did half the summer in the museum education um, department of the Smithsonian, creating educational cool. materials for, for local teachers, which was super fun. Um, and the second half of the summer, I worked in marketing at a gaming startup in Austin. Mm. Um, so like totally, I mean, so yeah, they definitely wow. both fulfilled my criteria. I was like, oh yeah, these are really different. This is really new. Um, I was very lucky that this startup let me talk my way into a marketing position um as a physics major i think they were like what the heck? like what the like, heck you'll figure it out you, you know physics kind you can of. figure out marketing <laughs> kind of i think they sort of were like all right like we'll 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 bite like you seem like you're bright <laughs> you can maybe figure something out you know um and i didn't know anything about marketing either i just thought mm. well that seems like a really interesting kind of problem to figure out i don't know anything about business like i just wonder what that's like um, and I really fell in love with mm. startups because of that internship. That internship kind of opened up that whole wow. world for me because, you know, I was working in these research labs where it's like, it takes decades for something to go from idea to reality. Mm. You kind of hope that something happens within your lifetime. Like yeah. that's how slow, right? The path is to idea to actually an everyday person can use this. Um, and at this startup, I'd come up with an idea in the morning and maybe it'd be live by the afternoon. That was incredible, you know, and that that really caught my attention because I think in the end, that's really what has always excited me is mm -hmm. like building new things yeah. with other people um, who and, and you're just all excited and care about building this thing together. Mm. Um, and having those like feedback loops, right? Whether it's with yeah. your users, your customers, your employees, investors, so. Yeah, I looked at startups as a place to learn from and to teach me. And I thought, gosh, well, if there's anybody who knows about like how to how to take a new idea and get it to reality, I'm not sure that the experts are within the four walls of a research lab. I think mm -hmm. the experts might be these people who are having to scramble like mad to figure <laughs> out how to make this thing real. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I felt like I could learn a lot from them. Very cool. Yeah. Um, one of the last questions I have is just, you know, being a Asian American CEO, technology founder, do you feel like there are any skills or um, kind of areas that Asian technology leaders need to spend much more time just developing or strengthening? Or have you found that, that there's no necessarily um, shortcoming that needs to be addressed there? That's a really interesting question. I think it's also one where I feel very fortunate as well that we've had some really incredible Asian American investors mm. um, come and back us. Um, Alex Chung, the founder of Giphy, Deborah Liu, the CEO of Ancestry, mm. um, and also two of like our 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 lead investors, Ben Ling and, and Kyle Louie. And I don't think I appreciated enough at the beginning um, what that really meant. Um, so like, 
And I think it's also enabled us to have sometimes really great, honest conversations that I'm not sure would come so easily or naturally, um, you know, otherwise. Um, but one of the pieces of feedback I got early on, which took me some time to kind of think through, was um, somebody once said, uh, said to me, they said, you know, I think you could be more aggressive as a leader. And that mm. was, and I was like, what do you mean by that? And they're like, I'm not really sure how to explain it, but I just feel like you could be more aggressive. And and I really struggled with that because I guess I kind of interpreted it as like, I don't know, like hard charging, um, like sports bro or something. And I was like, that's just so, that's just so not me, mm. you know? And so I really struggled with that. I was like, is that a skin that I can wear? Is that, can I try, you know, is that a piece of clothing that I, when I try on, does it feel like it fits? Do I think I can make it fit? Do I want, do I feel like I want to make that fit? And looking back, I actually understand a lot more what it was that they were trying to express to me, which was, you know, they phrase it as aggression. But what I think, I think what was really going on was I think they were just like, you just need to be more confident. And I definitely didn't start out with the kind of like confidence in myself that I think I really... I think I really like should have had and that came through in like my communications and that's been like a really big thing for me to be able to like grow and and um as a yeah. person and as a leader have you I mean that's a something I personally have been working on too right and I, I do feel part of that comes from you know the Asian culture being a, a yeah. little bit more you know self-effacing it's supposed to be deferential humble, yes yeah. exactly self-effacing yeah. Work yep. hard, put your nose down. Yep, you're, that's right. You will be rewarded even if you're not the squeaky wheel, right? Who that's right. For the degree. So um, what helped you actually kind of develop that skill? Was it just practicing, repetition, um, any anything practically that, that helped you? Or is it just even being aware was sufficient enough for you to... Being aware was definitely the first, yeah. the first it was step one. And I think that took a long time for me to be aware of. I didn't really understand. I would kind of hear this feedback, but I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to like make sense of it. Right. I didn't yeah. really understand that. Hey, at the bottom of all of this, it's about believing in yourself and being confident in your decisions. Right. Um, and confident in like your communication. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing for me after, I think it was like step one awareness. After that, it was really honestly, listening really hard to feedback from my from my from our team um who are just really this incredible group of of people um who uh you know I, and 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 they really put a lot of trust in me and would tell me you know in a way that was really honest and i'm just like super grateful to them um when i was kind of selling myself a little short you know they'd be like mm. You don't need to, you know, they, like people would actually come up to me afterwards after a meeting or something and say, you know, like, hey, you know, like you sounded like you're kind of worried about X, Y, Z, but like you got this, you know, or like we know or 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 you're worried that we don't have the answer to this problem. That's OK. We're going to figure it out together. Like we don't expect us to have all the answers. We certainly don't expect you to be like the person who has every answer to, to everything. Um, so I think a lot of it really came from, yeah, one having the self-awareness to recognize it and then to listening very, very hard to the people around me who, who cared about me. Yeah. That support system, whether it's at home in the workplace, so important, right? Cause I feel like sometimes we're our own worst enemy and when Absolutely. it's just us stuck with our own thoughts, it can spiral down to a lot of doubt. Totally. It's a great point of like, just lean on other people. Right. And if you're yeah. your biggest self-doubter, then that's where, you know, getting the confidence from other people really, really helps. So I love that. Story. Yeah. Because you're totally I mean, yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Off. Go ahead. No, please. I was say, because you're totally right. Like my, my dad is someone who like, we don't, we don't see eye to eye on this anymore. Like, you know, his perspective is you just put your head down, you work hard. And if you're lucky, someone will kind of no notice that you do good work someday. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's, that's kind of the world that, that I think he, he grew up in and yeah, growing up. Oh, absolutely. It was like a mantra, you know, my, mm. my grandma, my grandma still calls me and is like, Hey, just make sure that you're not like 
bothering other people too much. Okay. <laughs> just like play nice at school. Be, nice. yeah. be quiet. Get along. You know, like that, that to her is what success looks like, you know, yeah. especially for an Asian woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Harmony, not being the, I forgot this thing, but it's, it goes something like, the nail who sticks their head up gets hit down with a hammer or something like that, which right. um, I think kind of speaks to that. Um, in the last minute, any advice, you know, one or two pieces of advice for uh, maybe people who are earlier in their career trying to figure out what to do? I know it's, a, it's kind of a broad uh, um, setup, but any advice, career advice that you would like to give to younger people or your younger self if you were to do that? I think the biggest thing is if there's something that it, it really catches your attention and you're like, I'm really passionate about that, um, go and reach out to those people, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that the, that takes some, that takes some, maybe a little bit of bravery and a little bit of initiative. Um, but I couldn't be where I am without so many other, other founders and supporters and mentors along the way um, having, having given me that support. Um, so it's something that I would extend to your, to your listeners is if, if the mission that we're working on, you know, saving family memories and is something that really sparks excitement in you, um, please, please reach out to me. Um, yeah, my email is Amelia at joinhoneycomb.com. Um, and I'd love to hear from you. Great. Thank you so much, Amelia. Really appreciate hearing your story. Also loved hearing kind of the impact that your family had in your journey, right? So inspirational and also encouraging. Thanks, Amelia. Thank you so much. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your family and friends, leave me a review on iTunes, or drop me a note on our website, asiantechleaders.com. I really appreciate having each of you as a listener and sharing your valuable time with me. Be well, stay healthy, and follow your heart. See you soon.